Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in the studio, as always, it's the co-host. It's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss about one of our favorite TV shows this mm-hmm. episode. So let's waste no more time, shall we? Join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our social media links at OchoDuroParlayHour.com. And remember, use the hashtag ODPH to join in the conversation. Because this episode, we are deep diving into the series finale of one of our favorite shows on the CW, mm-hmm. Arrow. Yeah. Now, last night as we were watching was the two-hour season or series finale. I got to remember saying series. Yep. Because it just feels like, well, it'll be back in some capacity. And we don't know yet. There is a pilot spinoff that has not been picked up yet. Right. But we imagine that it is going to be, but still has not been officially done as we were recording. So last night's two-hour Arrow finale was a first-hour retrospective breaking down the history of the eight years it has been on the CW and really revolutionized how we look at comics on TV. Mm -hmm. And then the second hour kicked in, and we are going to be talking spoilers about how the swan song of Oliver Queen sailed off into the sunset. So in three, two, one, pad. What did you think? I thought, you know, all things considered, it was a very good, you know, series finale. It closed up a lot of, you know, loose ends that even if the the spinoff series gets picked up for a full series, you know, you're, you might not necessarily see those loose ends addressed in the future. So because as we saw in last week's episode, it's set 20 years in the future. So it wouldn't make a lot of sense to see some of that stuff, you know, tied up or brought up then. So in regards to that, it was nice to see some loose ends tied up. Very interesting to see some uh, returns and not in the form of flashbacks, you know, but I overall very happy with the finale. Yeah, definitely had to be happy with that, too. Uh, for going out the way it did, and obviously coming off Crisis, we knew it was going to be a brand new Star City. Yeah. What we were going to expect, we weren't really sure. I wasn't even expecting what we saw. No, I definitely wasn't either. So to see what we received, it was very cool and a, a fitting tribute, I think. Yeah. Because we start out, obviously, dealing with the effect that Oliver Queen is no longer on this Earth. Mm-hmm. That his sacrifice as a Spectre saved the multi-universe. And now we are in the next phase, what, right. that, what that's going to be. One could say it's phase two. And at this stage, we start seeing a flashback mm-hmm. to season two with Manu Bennett being Slade Wilson yep. and, and doing the infamous scene where he kills Oliver's mom. Or so we think. Or so we think, but suddenly... Plot twist. Yep. She is saved at the last moment. And this is the, like the most shocking intro to a television series I've seen in a while because there is no explanation to this. You were just simply, you know, it's kind of that like color toned, whatever you want to call it, you know, flashback sequence. The year is put on screen. So I'm like, oh, we're seeing a flashback. Okay. And you see the scene, you're like, oh, God, I think I said to you when we were watching, I'm like, oh, God, we're seeing this scene again. And I didn't mean that in a negative way, just, oh, you know, this is, you know, a heart wrenching moment in the show's history. You know, and then you get through the sequence. And I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell? Yeah, this was definitely a mind blowing thing, and it was almost shot like a documentary style. Mm-hmm. That we were seeing that obviously Oliver's mom survived, and now suddenly is talking to reporters about basically, okay, what you know the yeah. sacrifice of Oliver meant, and how she was completely blindsided by yeah 
the fact that she didn't know that Oliver was, in fact, the Green Arrow. Right, and it's also where she also brings up the fact that, hey, on another Earth, I was dead. Yeah, Susanna Thompson, I mean, steps back into the role as Moira, and it really is just breaking down what has been going on, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely wild to see. And as we start progressing through, it seems like that documentary crew is still doing more investigating. Yeah, and it's and I gotta say, it's a little surprising for them to be like okay with this, you know, so close to how things were because we saw with Legends last week that they were doing much the same thing. Obviously, different reasons, but you know, they were still having a documentary filmed about them to kind of show what they do. And and obviously they were all hunky dory with it until you got you know you got to Sarah and she's like no f this I want no part of this but it was almost it was very interesting to me like how just raw their emotions were the week you know the weeks prior you know where it was at the end of crisis where they're all just you know you know puddles a mess on the floor to, yeah. to be like oh yeah no we're okay completely talking about this yeah everybody seemed to be accepting of it and I think for Oliver to still be dead. And to have his legacy now allow vigilantes to be open Mm -hmm. and really kind of flip where it started from way back when. Yeah. I thought was a really interesting take. And well, I mean, to me, it's always one of those things like you see, I, I can remember with baseball, you know, baseball, the big thing was, oh, we don't want to put in instant replay. The instant replay is going to ruin the tradition and history of the game. And then you had two incidents on national television with thousands and thousands of people watching to kind of really bring eyes to that. Yeah. A lot of people may have hated vigilantism, but then you saw what happened and go, oh, we have these forces. You know, it's almost also like with the Avengers where, you know, oh, we don't need the Avengers. We, you know, they're a loose cannon. We can't trust the Avengers. And all of a sudden you have a force bearing down on New York City that the New York Police Department, the New York you know, Coast Guard, you know, even the Army is so ill-equipped to face that you almost need them. Yeah. So for all where we're seeing is really, you know, kind of puzzling at this stage. Like I say, we would go back to the flashback where Oliver rewrites the history and saves mm-hmm. Moira. To where they're now interviewing Diggle and, and they're talking with Renee about what's going on. Yeah. And it's just really interesting to see how the dynamic has changed because what they're just laying the groundwork is life without Oliver. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of see that weird expose, I, they, it threw me for a loop at the beginning. It, oh, yes, me too. Yeah, because like I say, I just was not expecting it. But then we do see some other characters coming back. Um, Roy shows back up. Yep. And we see that. With a, with a bionic looking arm. Yeah, which, I mean... Cool to see. It is cool to see. I mean, at one point, uh, Roy Harper did have that in the comics, if memory serves me right. Uh, kind of retconned out there, you know, here and there. So, to see him reappear, and obviously you knew at this episode we were going to see a lot of old familiar faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing Roy come back, obviously, was a, a cool sight to see. I mean, Colton Hayes coming back to the show. Yeah. Uh, so you, you figured that that yeah. was going to happen. And to see his story that basically he's coming back for Mia. and Right. You know, or not Mia, rather. Um, Thea. Thea, thank you. <laughs> Too many names that sound the same. That he's coming back and, and explaining you know, how he left the first time and how he's going to basically send this one off in the, in the sunset. And just obviously how stuff has changed mm-hmm. is not exactly going to be the same case. Right. And still at this point, too, they're getting ready for Oliver's funeral. And yeah. That's, and that's been kind of the driving point of the episode. So it's, a, it's the dark cloud hanging over everyone's head. Right. Because at this stage, this seems to be taking place before the events of Green Arrow and the Canaries, the episode prior. Right. So you're seeing that there is a bit of a time jump where Sarah Lance goes in the future to go get Mia Smoke mm-hmm. to bring her to the funeral, which it made a lot of sense, too, because if they're trying to say that she's now set back in the future, 
Well, and if I remember right, they never said from, you know, where, you know, Laurel came forward in time. It's just, hey, I'm here from the past. Mm-hmm. They never specified, oh, it's X number of weeks after the events of Crisis on Infinite. No, it's just like, oh, yeah, hey, I'm here from the past. No, it just is here from the past. And obviously, Mia knows what happens. And because time travel is a weird thing, it could be a Laurel from before Crisis. Yeah, that was something that wasn't really expected, but yeah. it did. It was what it was. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing a little bit of interaction coming with the teams that everybody's slowly starting to come together. So you're starting to see... Is the question of Felicity going to show back up for the Oliver's funeral? I I know obviously they were she was going to show up, you know because final episode. But in terms of story, I would is not expecting to see you know if if from a straight storytelling perspective, I figured you know she'd show up in some capacity. I did not expect to show her to show up at the funeral just because what was it at one point Diggle said that like she'd been in bed crying for like four days. Yeah, it or was, something crazy like that. Yeah, once she found out the news, obviously that would have a, such a dramatic yeah. effect on her yeah. that he wasn't sure what was going to happen. So as he's slowly putting together the team, and you're noticing too that they're doing flashbacks of what seems like a throwaway villain mm-hmm. that you're not really sure why they're building. Up. I'd honestly forgotten about it. Yeah, I, I definitely forgot about it too because as you're seeing. Oliver and Diggle are having just another mission, and this has to be season one too. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's saying Diggle's not ready to go in the field with him, and you see, you know, Stephen Amell doing one of his crazy action sequences. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was stuff they'd filmed for this episode specifically, but it almost to me looked like stuff that like might have gotten left on the cutting room floor from previous episodes. Yeah. So I mean, like I say, when we're starting to see this, it was a nice little, you know. Splur- you know, a little peek back to the early days. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, the- it was a nice retrospective. Yeah, it was definitely a nice re- retrospective because with this is kind of just goes back to where Oliver was still really not trusting anybody, and he was still so you know isolated and alone mm-hmm. that to see how the early days. I mean, we all forget now. I mean, eight years in of how the impact is. Yeah. of Diggle and Oliver. And how they were against each other for mm-hmm. most of season one. Let's oh, not forget yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. So this goes back to showing how Oliver started the show. And this is where we start seeing the Bit team. Bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, the team is coming together. And obviously, a lot of changes have happened. We're seeing a lot of older faces return to the show. Yeah. And we're seeing the team is really trying to say what's next. Because one thing that is jumping out, and, and it took me a little bit to think about this, when Oliver reset the timeline, mm-hmm. he did a dramatic change to Star City. <laughs> a little bit. And how would you break that down easily, Pat? Uh, there's no more crime. Yeah. The city is now the safest. It seems like the safest place in the world. Although, how do we want to define crime? Are we talking like, you know, crime that requires Team Arrow to come in and save the day? Or are we talking like, you know, little old ladies aren't getting their purses snatched on street corners? Well, that's another aspect that we didn't really touch upon. Right. And that's one thing they didn't necessarily. I know it was kind of established in the episode prior to the backdoor pilot for Green Arrow and the Canaries that there hasn't been any crime in 20 years. Okay. Can we like I know this is maybe me nitpicking and kind of overanalyzing. Can we specify what type of crime here? Because like I said, or if we're talking like Damien Dark, you know, you know, that kind of level of crime. Okay, I can get that. But if we're talking like that level all the way down to petty theft level of crime, I find that hard to believe. It is, and that's why we're kind of saying, okay, where is this new stat quo? And for the vigilantes, everybody's kind of trying to find their way. I mean, everybody has their own agendas going on. And like we say, yeah. with, the, with the return of some more deceased characters, and we'll kind of dig into that as we get going further in the segment, you're really seeing a new stack quote for Star City. Yeah. And with this flashback, it ties into a throwaway villain 
uh, which is named John Byrne, mm-hmm. which if you know comics, you know that is a very famous uh, writer and artist, which I, I just like how they kind of throw that little Easter egg in there. Right. And you're seeing that at this season, this is where the the turning point was for Oliver to a degree that he stopped killing. Mm-hmm. And he really uh, takes to the way of like starting to listen to Diggle and let his advice sink in that the second head prevails. Yeah. That he doesn't kill him, he decides to send him to jail. So, obviously, at this stage, we're now transitioning again to planning for the funeral. Mia is now coming back from the future to the past. That mm-hmm. is a really weird saying. Yeah. And as the team is in the bunker, we find out that William has been kidnapped. Now, this is not the William that we've been seeing for the past season. This is the, right. the child William. Right. And this is where Oliver's team decides basically to suit up for one more time. Right, and this is also kind of like Peter Parker's worst fear come to life, where, you know, for the longest time, he didn't want to reveal, of course, as everyone knows, he didn't want to reveal his identity because those close to him would not be safe. The entire world, and possibly the entire universe, knows that Oliver Queen is the Green Arrow. So anyone that's got an axe to grind against Oliver Queen all of a sudden goes, hmm, now I know who to go after. Right. So when this happens, Mia suits up, which was a kind of cool passing of the torch. And you see how everybody's pairing off together. And you're seeing more of Roy and Thea's storyline breakdown, too, which I'm not going to say it was forced in there because for the final finale, you want to make sure all loose ends are tied up. No, I mean, to me, it wasn't forced, though. To me, you know, Smallville fans will get this. It was the lowest, or it was the Lana and Clark for you know, for the longest time in Smallville, Clark wanted to get with Lana, and almost did. You know, almost did, almost did. You, you know, just right at the cusp of doing it until finally he did it. Obviously, it didn't work out in the end. But to me, this was kind of the thing: was like you know, they always wanted to be together. They tried being together, but outside forces, even extra terrestrial sources, uh, sources, mm-hmm. if you want to go that far, got in the way of it. And this is finally their chance to okay, hey, things are good. Like. We're not facing anything. Why don't we try this? Right. So, obviously, this is where Roy does his proposal to Thea and it gives them their happy ending. As I'll admit that, that was abrupt. It was abrupt. I was expecting him to go, hey, do you want to live together? Do you want to try the, Do you want to try being together again? I was not expecting him to go, you want to marry me? Well, I Shoot your shot, dude, but was not expecting it. Well, you know what I was thinking? If they're going to tie up that storyline, that's the only way it was going to end. Yeah. And for Mia, obviously taken aback, and then they have to work their their difference out. Till obviously she she kind of puts down the setting of okay, if we're going to do this, this, is how we're going to do this. Yeah, which I mean they sum that up, you know, very quickly. But yeah. it, I, and I understand, like I don't want to think this was filler, but it was like all right, well here we go, and we start seeing the Mia finds William on a rooftop because they right. they do their magic trick when Felicity finally makes her appearance to track down William because one thing which. I, this ties into how Felicity has changed. Mm-hmm. She put a tracking chip in her own kid. Yeah, which yeah, I mean, I, comics and reasons. Comic, well, it's it's her motherly intuition that you know how much nonsense has happened to that kid in the short time that you know he's been in their life. You know how many times has he almost died? How many times has he almost been kidnapped? I mean, they had a you know bunker that was used for like an apocalyptic event. Yeah. To try and keep that kid safe. I do not put that. You know, it doesn't shock me at all that she put a tracking chip in, in William. Yeah, because when she's in the in the scene there, too, and watching Diggle really take over the role of Oliver. Yeah. Because I know that we he was a Green Arrow for a little time, but this is the first time you've really seen him step up to that role. Right. And when he tells everybody to suit up and he gives that emotional speech and 
you know, Felicity comes back and she's trying to duck Mia too, which was the underlying theme of this episode. Yeah. That, you know, Felicity comes back and tracks her, figures a way to track down. They, they don't, I don't want to say it was like cookie cutter to how the Canaries track down who they were looking for, um, Bertinelli right. in, in, the, in the episode. But it was almost kind of telegraphed I mean, a little bit. I mean, the thing of it is, though, is it's, it's, it's Felicity. She's, you know, the smartest woman in the room. She's the smartest woman, arguably, in, in all of Star City that – you know, okay, yeah, so they might know how to track, you know, it's it's kind of like you, you you meet a rocket scientist or, or some super smart scientist that you know how to get to the end point of what you're trying to do, but it takes you eight steps, whereas the super smart person like a Felicity, it takes them three. Yeah, but either way, Mia winds up saving the day and, and running into the villain who's saying, you know who I am, you know who I am. You're, and, wear, you're wearing the hood. Yeah, which she now has her moment where she could either kill him and save William or she's going to find a way to, to work around it, which she does. Yep. And she winds up not killing him and does say William. So then we get to where I think the the latter half of this episode is what really stands out for me. Because mm-hmm. this is where we see everybody at the Queen Estate. Right. And they're giving their final goodbyes. Now, this is after Dinah and Renee and Diggle have shut down the bunker. Right. That Diggle has announced he's leaving for Metropolis. The, the mission is over. The mission is over. So they subsequently end everything with this villain, which I, I, I get because you're not expecting a major villain no. at this stage. I was hoping that we did see a Slade Wilson appearance. Nah. Just just like a cameo. They're like standing in the woods watching or for, standing from a distance. If you were, they were getting ready to set up another season, yeah. But it's the end of the series. You're trying to wrap everything up. You know, like with the Thea and, and Roy thing, you're trying to like, you're, you know, fans are all t- obviously going to have this. Oh, I wonder what they did afterward. You know, mm-hmm. you're trying to, you know, answer those fans questions. There's, not, you know, especially given it's 42 whatever minutes long, you really don't have time to bring in Manu Bennett, have him be the big villain. And then get him out inside of you know twenty minutes or whatever it ends up being. Yeah, there's was, just not enough time. Oh, I understand, but it's like I I thought that they should have had him in at some case. Now, granted, I did I have not heard anything of why specifically. I haven't seen any tweets from him saying why he wasn't there or anything like that. So we're just gonna kind of have to leave that to be what it is. But you do, you start seeing though before we get to the state, there was one pivotal pivotal scene I think, and that was about. Dina, or not Dinah, but Laurel. Yeah. That the Earth 2 Laurel. Yeah. That now we get to where she is in. She's having like a, an existential breakdown. Yeah, because she has basically lost her home world. Mm-hmm. And she's waiting for the Laurel of this Earth to appear. Right. Now, this is where I thought was really interesting. And I had to take a step back to think about this. Because she now goes to find her dad. And, I mean, how cool was it to see officer lance back this was just like greatest hit after greatest hit like every time they went to a new building it's like oh hey guess who's alive yeah paul blackthorn yep coming back to the role of quentin lance and seeing that interaction that he's had you know since day one Mm -hmm. with uh katie cassidy there this was just the cool moment that we've all been kind of waiting to see or katie cassidy there um, we've all been waiting to see. And then he basically says, my Laurel, you are my Laurel. Yeah. And then finally accepts, like, after everything that's been done in the past. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And it's, it's, she's having the hardest time with it because, you know, Oliver brought back his mom, you know, brought back Quentin, brought back all these people. But, you know, he she figured that he would have brought back her or excuse me, his Laurel yeah. and that she wouldn't be there. And, and it's a really touching scene between her, you know, her. And her father, because he's like, listen, honey, you are my daughter. Yeah, just to see that cosign. Yeah. I think that had we seen that prior 
to the uh, Green Arrow and the Canaries uh, pilot, mm-hmm. I think would have explained a lot more of her motivation. Yeah. Because, you know, last week when we were talking about the episode, we were all like, wait, what is going on here? Because we did not expect to see this. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, we finally do see this. And it just goes to show of how they're tying up loose ends. And now she's finally been co-signed on. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting to a place where it's like, okay. I feel like, though, it's one of those things that necessarily didn't need said. That, like, the emotions and the thoughts and, the, and whatever, what have you, should have come across. And it should have been real obvious. But just she needed to hear it. Yeah, she just needed to hear it. So now you know why that she's acting the way she is. That basically she's finally been forgiven and she forgives herself. Yeah, it's like, okay, listen, they've been having dinner with you. They've been, you know, going to the movies with you, going out shopping with you. It's not like they're keeping you at arm's length and not answering your phone calls. Like, right. they, they care about you. So now we finally get to where the heart of the matter is. And like I said, I, for, I almost forgot about it because there was so much going on in this back half of the episode. That when we get to the Queen Estate, they're having their burial for Oliver. Mm-hmm. Which... They all say, you know, they filled it up with memories inside the casket. So right. There is no there's, body. No, there's no body to there's, bury. There's no body. And now we start seeing return after return. We see Holy it. sugar cookies. Yeah. Pat, do you want to break down who we got back? Uh, so, yeah, Tommy Merlin's alive. Yes. Shocking of all, sh- shocker of all shockers. You know, Talia Al Ghul is there. Nissa Al Ghul is there. You've got, uh, I'm going to butcher the you know what out of this name, uh, Antonil Knezev. Yeah, Antolia is back. Thank you. Antolia is back. Antolia is back. Yeah, it, it just, you know, just return after return. It was really cool to see. Yeah, it was just, a, the, like, that was a fitting throwback and to see how Oliver brought back everybody that died but was connected right. to him. Right, and I know there was one point where Thea was speaking to her mother and, you know, they were looking at their her father's grave. And she's like, you know, everybody who brought he brought back, I'm really surprised he didn't bring dad back. And I and I really liked what Moira said is, you know, he brought back the people whose lives, you know, wouldn't change anything that, you know, it's still a part of him and he still is who he is. But if you bring back his father, if he brought back his father, he wouldn't have become the person he was. Right. And like I said, there was only a couple of people like I, I was surprised we didn't see like we didn't see Yalfe. Right. Which I thought maybe we'd see from season one just eh. something, but not the end of the world, because obviously Things have ch- have changed many many moons since then. Uh, we did see like of all people, Ragman was back. Yeah, which I I was not and expecting. It was working to see. with them. It looked like yeah, which was now back and is now back being a hero. Which I mean, obviously yeah, with, sure. how, with how he left was kind of interesting to see. And you start seeing that Tommy Merlin is back, and that was the big thing seeing Colin Donnell yeah. return to the show and, yeah. and and fitting and having that interaction with uh, Katie Cassidy there. Yeah, because uh, it turns out he's married to Laurel. Yeah. Which, how does that work? We don't know. So How does the law look at that? Yeah. Hello. So, so everything's a little... Going to need a judge on this one. A little murky, so we'll just follow that under reasons. Yeah. But we have the fitting tribute that Felicity can't give the speech. She lets Diggle give it, and Diggle gives that you know, great speech about Oliver. Mm-hmm. And basically gives the final send-off. Felicity has that moment with Mia... Which that, was awesome to say. Yeah, that was an awesome moment. I, I thought the Emily Rickards there absolutely that was the shining moment for yeah. her in that episode. And, and I love the reaction because you know Mia's like, all right, we got we got to get the you know proverbial monkey off our backs on this one. And she kind of sne- almost sneaks up behind her and, and you know without tapping on the shoulder, kind of gets her gets her to turn around. And you almost saw Emily jump out of her skin. 
Yeah. You know, like, oh, my God. Yeah, she sold that well. I mean, Catherine McNamara, too. I thought this was probably one of her stronger episodes. Mm-hmm. That I know she had a lot more to deal with emotionally and how yeah. she was selling it. Yeah. And I thought she did a really good job with it. Oh, my God, beautifully. And especially Emily just, you know, like essentially like, hey, I just watched you start teething this morning, and now here you are in front of me fully grown. Yeah, to really kind of get into the perspective of the time and the jump and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing you, you could definitely read the emotions off of both of them that, like, it was obviously very emotional for Emily because here she is seeing, you know, Oliver's labor and, and work and all that in front of her fully grown. And for Emily, or, for, or excuse me, for Mia to look back and go, it's mom. Yeah. So to see that, I mean, that was just such a cool moment. And they really just hit the emotions top of the head. Oh, yeah. Like I said, with all the cameos they had. And it just, it was such a fitting moment to send everybody off with. Emiko was at the funeral. Emiko too. showed up too. She, so got, they, she had a moment with Mia, or not Mia, excuse me, Thea and Moira. And, yeah. And they got that introduction. You know, they finally got to meet each other. And and I love Moira said, listen, you are welcome anytime around the house. Yes. Yeah, so Which was she, nice. Yeah. So now she's finally been accepted after feeling like the outcast for how many years? Yeah. Seeing the Al Ghouls there. That was a funny little thing, too. That was funny. <laughs> marriage is annulled. <laughs> We're fine. Listen, my father did it just to get at me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was like just little stuff like that was just. She so, didn't even need to go that into detail. She could have just been like, listen, it's my father. Enough said. Yeah. No. But the fact that they, they give that, I mean, and they just completely ate that scenery up. So. I was completely fine with that, and just now we go into the transition phase where uh, Quentin Lance is at the memorial for Oliver. He gives a speech there, yep. so everybody has the final send-off. Yep. And then you do see the tie back, which I, I guess is where this kind of threw me off, that Mia remembered that William is missing in her timeline because mm-hmm. she does have that memory that, yeah. that he's gone. So, like I said, the timeline was the only – Somewhat issue, I yeah. Have, but but it's it's minor on the grand scheme. Yeah, circling back to the to the mansion scene quickly. Um, I do got to say I liked how they had Kara and Barry show up because oh, that's duh, true. That Kara and Barry show up because duh. But I liked the little interaction Barry had with Moira, and as and I'm glad they did this here because I could have very easily foreseen this being like a subplot throughout the the latter half of the season of the Flash where. Barry went up to Moira and told him, told excuse me, told her just how sorry he was that Oliver died, and you know he's like, I have to live every day with the fact that I could have done something more to save him. And Moira gave him the piece that, like, listen, no, you did everything you could. Yeah, Moira and Felicity both did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and I, and I love that that they put that scene there. Yeah, and it made perfect sense because with the Flash coming back next week, right. This is going to deal with how Barry deals with losing Oliver. Mm-hmm. I fully think it's going to be a yeah. not a somber episode, but it's going to be a. It's he's losing a brother. Yeah. You know, yeah, he has. You know, he had his. He's lost his parents, and you know, he has his wife, and he, you know, he has his kind of step family, what have you. But this was, you know, his brother. This was his, you know, the guy he would, you know sacrifice and lay himself on the line for one of them actually did mm-hmm. you know this is not this is something kind of more has more a little more gravity behind it than your parents dying yeah absolutely so it was a well done scene for everybody involved and it just really tied into the transition and character growth that arrow has demonstrated over the past eight years yeah so we end with the final send-off i mean like i said quentin lance is giving the speech at the statue. Mm-hmm. Mia goes back to her timeline, but remembering what happened. Right. Renee, you know, is going back to run. You know, get a. He's since he's been elected. Starting he's gonna, his campaign. He's gonna, starting his campaign. Starting the can. You know, starting the political work. Dinah just kind of disappears off in the the sunset, driving her motorcycle. Yep. Which, like I say, 
I'm interested to see how she gets from point A to point B. Well, she's got 20 years to work she's, with. She's got 20 years to figure out. There's, like, there's 20 years of stuff we don't know what happens. I, f- I figured we were going to get that explained. Nah, that, that'll probably be if they pick up the spinoff series. Yeah, which, I mean, if we never find out, so be it. Because it, it's one of those things. It's kind of like with Star Wars and the prequels. You had to get to a certain point. You know, they might have to explain at some point what she did in the intervening years to eventually end up back in Star City owning a bar. Mm-hmm. But now we get to the point... I have been waiting for... I'm giving you the floor on this one. Finally. If you have been listening to this podcast since day one... You've been saying it since before the podcast. I have been saying it since before the podcast on social media. Season one... If you can dig it up, good luck. Yeah, you, you good luck finding it. You might be able to go search. I don't, I'm going to try and test anybody, but just take my word for it. I have said this on this podcast numerous times that John Diggle is John Stewart. There is no gray area involved. That Diggle was an alias... It was explained. It was a middle name. It was a middle name. Either way, he finally got his Green Lantern ring. Finally. Do you see the scene where he's standing there by the the van that he's getting ready to pack up everything and, and take off from Metropolis? And what crashes? A ship carrying a ring. It seemed like a very small ship, if, mm-hmm. if, if at all. Yeah. But you just see the a object crashes, shall I say, because I don't think it was ship. Ship is not the right word. I'm too amped up because I'm thinking of the comic when you see Evan Sir crash. And I, and I got to say, I, I love the interview David Ramsey. He was speaking to reporters uh, following a screening of the Arrow finale. And I love the response that he gave to people when they brought up or they asked him about this scene. Uh, he said, quote, so he did get a green box and it was very exciting. I don't know what that means, but he did. Go, but he does go to Metropolis and he got a green box and we'll see. We'll find out what that means. Close yeah, quote. Yeah, which, like I say, I get a mix up with the comic because I was waiting to see Evan Sir's ship crash, but we just see his ring crash to Earth mm-hmm. in the in the box. Diggle opens it up. It turns green. Game over. This is going to be one of your stars for the new HBO Max show of Green Lantern when it starts up. Lock, stock, and barrel. I know we're doing locks and leaps on the sports show, but we're going to do it right here. Lock that in. David Ramsey is going to be on that show. Has to be. I don't see how you recast John Stewart now that you gave him his ring. I'm sorry. Right. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I just don't see it. I know I'm getting too amped up and I'm botching how I'm trying to say this, but I I marked out like a madman. You did. I can verify. Yeah. I lost my shit about this and I'm not ashamed to say it. When I saw that object finally hit Earth, I was like, oh, sh-. you didn't even wait till the object hit the Earth. You saw the thing streaking through the sky. Well, because I thought it was going to be the ship. I legit thought. We, they were going to go with the Evan Sir route where he crashes to Earth. And that's what I thought was going to happen. And I'm like, okay, we're really going to go the comic route? Sold. Done. Didn't happen. But I still got the ring going to Jon Stewart. So I was very, very cool with that. I had no issue with that. And to see that we finally have Diggle have his Green Lantern ring. And then the final scene that we have with Oliver and Felicity, the, mm-hmm. the monitor sends Felicity into the future to the afterlife Yep, where she spends the rest of her days with Oliver in the cool moment too Yeah, of Oliver's first memory of Mia or I mean uh, Felicity rather Yep, was in the office. Yep. And Felicity was like, no, it wasn't. It was the ID department. He's like, are you sure about that? Yeah. And then we get the flashback. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where, they go and they have their send off and like we have all the time in the world to talk. And then you see the pan out from Queen Consolidate. Oliver and Felicity have their happily ever after. Fade to black. 
Nuff said. Mm-hmm. Nuff said. Uh, like I say, the second half of this episode really did it for me. Oh, yeah. And like I said, I, I marked out like a madman when Jon Stewart finally got his stuff. Because like I say, this is what I've been waiting for. As a fan of this show, I have been waiting for this moment. It tied up almost everybody perfectly. I mean, mm-hmm. the only ones they left really on their own devices was Dinah's story. Right. Black Siren's story. That she basically was given the cosign by uh, Quentin Lance. Yeah. So now you understand why she's now trying to be a hero to Mia and basically doing it for Oliver. Mm-hmm. Overall, like I say, they tied up everything very well. Wouldn't you say, Pat? Oh yeah, no, definitely. You know, everything's kind of wrapped up in a neat little bow. I can't think of anything outstanding that you know characters or maybe subplots that are left open. They're like, oh, I wonder what happened with this. But no, I, I think they closed it out very well. I think they did very well too. And like I say, I was very happy to see how they tied it up. And whatever happens from here on out, if the show gets picked up, it gets picked up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm actually okay with it, and we go from there. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Your thoughts on the Arrow series finale. We definitely want to know. Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend. Coming back for the second segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are still talking Arrow. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, last segment we recapped the series finale, but let's deep dive into the legacy of Arrow on yeah. here. So, obviously, eight years ago, Arrow started on the CW. And if you know the original plot, it was supposed to be Supermax, and it was supposed right. to be Oliver Queen escaping from a Supermax jail. Right. Obviously, they went in a different route. A little bit which I'm extremely happy they did, and to see how they tried doing their interpretation of Arrow. Pad, what was your initial thoughts? Uh, I thought it was a very interesting you know, direction and, and take they took with not just the character, but a comic book show in general. Because coming off of you know Smallville's 10-year success and kind of what that show did, and, and that, t- that was a whole show where you knew the story and you knew the origin, so they really didn't have to tell 
you know, Krypton blowing up and sending Clark to Earth. You know, they kind of picked it up from the Kent's perspective and, and you know, kind of midway through this or midway through the, the origin story, if you will. But and it was also the intervening years of, you know, him before he got to Metropolis and this whole thing, you know. So it was very interesting to go from that where it's a story, you know, or rather a character, you know, to a character not a lot of people know isn't exactly high on the average fan list of well-known DC superheroes. Yeah, I know he was featured in a couple episodes of Justice League Unlimited, but you know, never a big character, never a recurring character that I think they took they they took a little bit of a risk on it, admittedly, and it paid off handsomely. Yeah, when the show originally debuted October 2012, actually, mm-hmm. this was coming off the heels of the Dark Knight trilogy of Christopher right, Nolan. So right. the assumption at the time was to make Arrow very gritty and dark. Now, if you know the character... In the comics, very different. Mm-hmm. Very different. Uh, most notably, has been teamed up with Hal Jordan of Green Lantern fame and is a very unique character in his own right. Uh, how we saw him portrayed by Stephen Amell was a, a drastic different take. Like yeah. I say, you, you saw him being, I don't want to say like the Punisher, mm-hmm. but at the well, er- Even if you go back to uh, when Justin Hartley played him on Smallville. You compare the you know, the Smallville version of Green Arrow to the you know Stephen Amell version of Green Arrow, night and day. No, absolutely. Where Stephen Amell took the character, like I say, not the take you see from the comics, not a bad no, one by any means, but no. at that point, I think the the assumption was going to be doing a shared universe a la Marvel. Yeah, which not a bad idea at the time. I mean, Marvel has laid down that blueprint, which other comic companies should follow if they really want to do a shared universe on all platforms. Mm-hmm. But for DC to Take a shot with Arrow, and like I say, their original concept was about doing the Supermax jail, and mm-hmm. I'm glad it went into a different direction. To see how it just grew and the growth of the character in this yeah. interpretation was really something because you had a show that was comprised of flashbacks from an island where right. he was trapped for years to see where he now was in present-day time. Of, you know, I don't want to say a man lost in time it was like a man on a mission but a man on a mission and a man that was completely removed from a timeline to be brought back and how the world has changed yeah and to see how he went on his mission of vengeance for his father that he was given the book after his father decided to sacrifice himself to save oliver yeah and just the toll it took on him that just being the new man in town and really establishing how a city has drastically changed since he's been gone was a very unique take. Yeah. And to see that he had a great first season villain in Malcolm Merlin, played by John Barrowman, who obviously you put Barrowman in anything, he's going to be oh, awesome. He's money. Yeah. I mean, to see him return on Doctor Who, too, has been an amazing thing. Yeah. So, obviously, the first season, seeing him come back as Malcolm Merlin and have that face-off with Oliver, very different than the comics, and we can't stress that enough, that this was almost uncharted water. Yeah. And to see how the show is doing... To tie in Deathstroke, who previously was not really connected to Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. You never think of Deathstroke, Slade Wilson, as an Arrow villain until this show hit. No, yeah. He's always been tied to the Teen Titans and that universe and that mythos, rather. So to see how they kind of forced him in here, I thought was very unique. But Manu Bennett definitely made him into yeah. the villain that... I think transcended where his popularity originally was. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that if Manu Bennett didn't make this character into the 
force that he was on TV, we would never even be talking about Joe Manganiello playing him in no. the movie or anybody. No, yeah, you can uh, you can very easily say that that you know, like you said, had it not been for Manu Bennett, the character would not have risen. The, obviously, very popular before Manu Bennett, mm-hmm. but would not have risen to the the level of popularity he is today, where. All the cosplays, all the fan art, all the you know the fan videos and the and the you know fan movies and fan this fan that that you know like you said wouldn't have seen him show up in the DC movies like we did. Might have been somebody else. You no, know, it definitely have been somebody else. And I don't know if the interpretation would have worked. Like I honestly don't know. I think Manu did such an amazing job as Slade Wilson and showing vulnerability to the character, which. Yeah, like I say, if you're not familiar with Deathstroke, he's mm-hmm. basically an evil version of Captain America. He is somebody that is brought to the physical peak of perfection due to enhancements, but he doesn't have the moral compass. And he is an assassin for hire, but he holds his word. Mm-hmm. So if he says he's got a contract, he will finish that contract no matter what. That is how Deathstroke is. I mean, that is, you go back to the Teen Titans and, and just the Judas contract and just what goes on there with Wolfman and Perez. And they just recently did a version of that on the DC Universe app. And like I say, it was a great, great performance, but you you look at Manu Bennett as the benchmark. And that's, yeah. that's just all from season one. So when they transitioned to season two, that was all Slade Wilson. Like, this is my favorite one that we have seen. Oh, easily. Without question. And then this is where they also introduce Sarah Lance, who has always been for the most part, a throwaway character. Like, yeah. I never really heard about it in the comic. Like, I know that they did a White Canary in the comics, right? but they've never really... I, I think that that is just wasted potential, that they could really add her into a comic series right now for DC mm-hmm. and really take off. I know they haven't, but it is what is. But to see where they did the season, this was the strongest one. This one had the most emotional ties. This is the last time we saw the Suicide Squad get added because they did dabble with that until the movie studio mm-hmm. came down. And we know we've, we've documented on the show many times. The movie and TV studios never really have gotten along per se. But this was prime example because this is the last Suicide Squad episode we've seen. And to see how they wrote off Deathstroke, this was going to be a tough act to follow no matter mm-hmm. what you did, no matter what. But once we get to season three, this is, I would say, is the weakest season of probably. the Probably. I mean, what do you think, Pat? Uh, definitely probably weakest, I would say. Like, it's still enjoyable, but, like, it, it's a bit of a slog to get through. It, it definitely is. And this is where you start seeing that they went away from what I thought was working for them, which was familiar villains or untapped villains to Green Arrow. And what I mean by this is Deathstroke, not connected to, to Arrow, you have a little wiggle room to establish something. Yeah, Malcolm Merlin has been, and the Dark Archer has been connected to Green Arrow as long as I can remember. To tie in Ra's al Ghul to Arrow just did not mesh. It wouldn't mesh. It's a, it's it, You're basically forcing a square into a round peg. It just didn't resonate. Now, granted, at this point, you start introducing other characters. We see Roy Palmer, or Ray Palmer, the Adam get introduced, who was trying to be his worst Tony Stark I've ever seen. And it just didn't connect. And you also start seeing, at this stage, though, Sarah Lance has taken off and really growing in her role. The, yeah. fla- the, the flashback sequences just weren't really working for me in here. I mean, obviously, they got off the island, and this is when Oliver was in, I believe, Japan. Yeah, uh, I believe in, so. In Hong Kong. And this is where they introduced Katana, which, I mean, I w- was another character that you could definitely 
grow here and, and see where you can, you know, what would roll out from the character. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, it was just how it was done and just basically how they copied the birth of the demon storyline for the most part. It just it didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a cool cliffhanger, you know, where. He had the duel with Raz Al Ghul, and Raz stabbed him and threw him off the cliff. I think that was like the mid season. It was a mid season break, so like we had to sit here and wait. I forget how many months. It was like two, three months to figure out what the heck was going to happen. So a good, good mid season cliffhanger. Yeah, but in terms of story, and it was cool to see him fight Raz Al Ghul, and and you know, just it felt like you know too big a rise. You know, you want you all right take on. You know, the Dark Archer season one, and then season two, you're facing Slade Wilson, and all of a sudden, you're fighting some mystic dude who can't die. Yeah, it, it just it didn't flow well. and he, it, He's kind of sprinting before he can run. Exactly, and like I say, this is probably my least favorite season of Arrow. Yeah. And, and I think that this kind of showed you can't really implement a Batman villain into the Arrow universe of that stature. I mean, that's like putting the Joker in there. Like, it yeah. Just, it, 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 it just wouldn't work. It yeah. Just, it does Ra's al Ghul works for Batman and and your heavy hitters. <sighs> Green Arrow's not a heavy hitter; it just never has been. But when we, as so they get through that conflict and then they go to season four, which the Damian Dark season was a different feel for the entire Arrowverse. Mm-hmm. At this stage, you have I think you went away from the dark grittiness. Yeah. To am I wrong to say Happy Oliver? No, uh, no. I this is where I don't know like for me it just it was such a dramatic 180 and I think it's because so many fans were were not feeling the new stat quo of Oliver fighting Raza Ghoul that when Damian Dark came to town and this is where Oliver fully was outed as the Green Arrow right and had the whole suit all of the comics yeah it just had a different vibe to it it wasn't a bad season but it just kind of seemed like it was really losing the legs it was yeah, had the first two seasons. Yeah, I mean nothing against uh, you know Damian Dark and the villain that they had set up there. I mean for for that, I thought you know it, it worked. But then again, you go back to Mystic versus Street Level. Yeah, does that ever work? Well, and it's again you know sprinting before you can run. Where like we said, season one Dark Archer, okay. Season two Deathstroke, okay. Season three. Un, you know, unkillable dude who's been living for God knows how many thousands of years to a guy who like defies all laws of physics. I mean, the role would have failed for Damian Dark had it not been for Neil McDonald. I mean, he has just been great in anything he's cast in. Another one that Arrow, you know, gets great actors to carry villains that I don't want to say fall by the wayside, but I mean, Damian Dark was a, a character that was an apprentice of Raza mm-hmm. and, and just a throwaway in the comics. So you do have some legs to run with. Yeah. But then again, this is where I think they tried doing a little too much. Borrowing a little from the comics, though, when they this is when they had his uh, Oliver for Mayor run. Right. And this is when they bring in his son, William, which right. nobody knew about. And the one takeaway from this season, too, though, is this is when Laurel dies. Because yeah. the previous season, she became Black Canary. She was getting trained by Wildcat, which is a cool tie into the JSA and, and the history there. But this is when you have Mystic against Street Level. So, of course, what's going to happen? And when Oliver finally comes through at the, at the end of the day and winds up winning, this is where he's now established as the mayor. Mm-hmm. He's now stepping into a role that he's not comfortable with for season five. No. Because now he's got to run a team. And, yeah. And I've always been a stickler for these shows. Unless it's a team show, 
you don't need five other heroes or whatever the, the number is to balance out with your main characters. Flash does this, and it drives me nuts. But with Arrow trying to do this, that you went away from the, the trinity of John Diggle, the bodyguard from Season 1, Felicity Smoke, the tech guru from Season 1, that we're, now we're on Season 5, and we're talking about Wild Dog being added, Mr. Terrific being added, Ragman being added, and then they even had Artemis for a quick hiccup being added as well. Yeah. Plus a new Black Canary in Dinah Drake. So right there is what, six? Something like that, yeah. Along with you get the return of uh, Laurel Lance, but you get Earth 2 Laurel Lance, which that's a weird situation. Mm-hmm. You just start running out of screen time for everybody. Albeit, though, this did have one of the better villains on record, and that was Prometheus. Which, if you know the comics, there is a, a distinct difference of Prometheus to this one. The comics is tied to Green Arrow. The show was Adrian Chase, played by Josh Segura, who, if you know that name of Adrian Chase in the comics, it's the anti-hero Vigilante. And he did look like Vigilante at first. Yeah. How they wanted to, you know, making him Prometheus... It was a cool story, and I think it worked strong. And this is when it got kind of got back to basics. The only thing, though, like I say, and it drove drove me absolutely nuts, is going in with the season. You know, when you start having too many characters involved, and it does really throw everything off. It kind of takes away a little bit. But when it got to be Oliver versus Prometheus, that's when this really stepped up. This is when everything really drove it home. Like, would you say, where would you rank Prometheus with the Arrow villains, Pat? No, it's probably up towards the top. You know, it, it's kind of hard for me to rank these these villains because I haven't gone back and watched the seasons multiple, multiple times. But in terms of, like, remembering him and just how crazy it was, he definitely towards the top. Yeah, no, it definitely was. And albeit, though, they had the best cliffhanger ending for all the seasons, the blowing up of Leon Yu. Oh, yeah. And, and like, only two people were off the island, and that's because William got kidnapped. Yeah, because William got kidnapped. It was the great cliffhanger, and then this is the first... See, it's like I said. You don't put a tracking device on William, he ends up on an island and almost dies. Yeah. But to see that only Oliver's baby mama died... Yeah. That was a character that was never really developed. Mentioned once. Yeah, you didn't have a connection to. Mentioned once in, like, season one, season two, showed up, like, four years later. Yeah, like, I think they really dropped the ball there. I mean, that was the only thing that I didn't like when they came back season six. And then suddenly Oliver now has to be a single father and dealing with being mayor and being the Green Arrow. Well, I mean, he was mayor for all of a blink of an eye. Right, but still, at this point, you have to do that. And then they almost established their, what, legion of supervillains here, too? Because you had Something like that, yeah. Caden James, and then you had you know the other vigilante that had the connection to Dinah, and Anatoly was involved, and Siren, and Ricardo Diaz. And I even told you, too, when this started out, I said, Ricardo Diaz, I know from the comics. I said, the other ones, not really. And obviously Anatoly, and they explain his story and going through about Oliver's time over in Russia the, last se- the previous season. So you, you, you understand that, okay, they're setting up Oliver to be taken down, so it's team on team. Right. But, I like and like I say, you just have too many moving parts. So when they finally thinned it out and Ricardo, Ricardo Diaz came to be the major villain, that is when the season got really good. And that was when Oliver was really pushed to his limits. 
And I think that, obviously, with Ricardo Diaz, that was one that they didn't kill which or didn't write off completely. Right. I mean, Kirk Acevedo is a, an amazing actor, and when he finally got a chance to shine in his origin episode, had to be one of the like the one of the better written Arrow episodes on record. Mm-hmm. You know, just hearing his backstory and such, and just it was so well done. Like I, I have to say, it was just truly amazing on that. So then, when we finally have Oliver, this is the first time we really saw like a carryover. To, to the next season because this is when Oliver was in jail. Right. That you get the introduction of the longbow hunters and then you get the, you know, season seven. Season seven had a lot going on with it. But, a little bit. But when you had like Amico Queen get added to this, the show and, you know, really are, I think they kind of lost their way a little bit, but at the same point it does make a lot of sense of where do you go from here because you had so many – you know, teams involved, and then when it finally was thinned out, it was almost like the split season, which I think works best for the CW net networks. Yeah. That you have, you know, the the first twelve, you're fighting one villain that was a DS season, then you flip it to the end, you know, the second half of the season that was you know Miko and the Ninth Circle. To then when we finally get to season eight, and it was literally the swan song to Oliver. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, with the legacy of this, where do you think it stands? Uh, I think you know it's definitely one of the shows that you got to hold near and dear to your heart, even if you're not a diehard Arrow fan. That yeah, obviously without shows like Smallville, it wouldn't exist. But the thing Smallville tried and didn't necessarily do was they tried spinoff shows and they tried to set up a shared TV universe. Don't forget there was that one episode pilot of Aquaman that f- spun off from Smallville that did air. For a while, you could get it for free on iTunes. I don't think you can anymore, but I'm sure you can. Fi- I'm sure you can find the episode somewhere online. You know, maybe somewhere on CW site or CW seed or something like that. I'm sure it's out there someplace. But as good as Smallville was, they tried spinning off, and it didn't necessarily work. But I think the kind of like nod and tip of the cap you got to give to the folks behind Arrow was not only did they sh- set up a good superhero television show, they were also able to successfully set up a shared universe. I agree with you, too, and that's what I kind of was going to close out with is the legacy of Arrow, like I said, we went through each season, touched upon what worked, and I mean, the flashbacks at the beginning worked. I think when they tried doing the flash forward, it did work, but it was very confusing The flash first. Bur- flashbacks worked, but I would say by about season three and a half, season four, it got long in the tooth. Oh, it, it definitely did because they were really trying to stretch it out. But as you touched upon, taking the character Oliver Queen and making him the focal point of the universe was a long shot at best. And to see how it spun off the Flash and how the Flash had grown past Arrow, mm-hmm. that it was getting Arrow was getting overshadowed at one point. Right. And to see that they could implement bringing in another hero, having a shared universe, and then when they brought in the Legends, that worked out. Albeit, though, it was a little different at first. Yeah. That I don't think it clicked right away, but by season's end, when they had enough moving parts they could make something happen with, I think that's when it really started shining. Yeah. And to see when they finally got Supergirl added to the mix, albeit, though, timelines at that point were really weird. Mm-hmm. That, okay, we're going to have, what, Earth 38? And, Something and, like that. And draws it over. Like, it just got to be such a point at the beginning that it was just like, well, this is kind of really confusing. But as the show has progressed, it definitely found some new legs, though, when they introduced villains that could really take Oliver on at a street level. And that's where I think they really shine. Like Ricardo Diaz is my number two behind Manu Bennett's uh, Slade Wilson. That when you get to the character down to the bare bones, it's a man with a bow and a will. 
who can step up to him? Mm-hmm. Well, you had Diaz, who has the will above everybody to get what he wants and is ruthless in how he chases it. You know, Adrian Chase's Prometheus was completely different than what you see in the comics. Yep. But how he was basically the other side of the coin to Oliver and pushing his buttons and really making Oliver's life a living hell just for straight revenge reasons, I think that worked as well. So, like I say, for them, I like I say, I rank all of them ahead of John Barrowman's Malcolm Merlin. Not that I didn't like the villain, but they, they, he was there for a blink of an eye. But he was there for a blink of an eye. But that is when it was really hit and really hit home. And I think Barrowman's character, when they added him to the Legends and they're doing the Legion of Doom there, I think that that's when he really shined and really got a chance to do it. Because when you're the Dark Archer and you're not really interacting until the final what couple episodes. Of season one, yeah, something like that. You, you know, you kind of miss you're missing opportunity there, and I think that when you we finally got the payoff, it wasn't too little, too late, but it was kind of like it lacked. It was a jab instead of a hook. So, but at that stage, Oliver had already established itself, and it really showed that Stephen Amell could carry the show and really push forward with it. And I can't fault it, and I can't say thank you enough for eight great years of DC TV because you opened the door now for other shows to take off. We have HBO Max coming now with Strange Adventures and Green Lantern. The DC Universe, we got Titans, we have Doom Patrol, we had Swamp Thing, who knows what's going to happen there, and you have Stargirl coming out. Without Arrow doing it and taking the torch from Smallville, we probably wouldn't have this on TV. Heck, Marvel might not have even tried Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know. That's a debate that's it's possible. I don't know what you think about that, Pat. Uh, maybe. It's hard to say. It really is hard to say because if Arrow wasn't successful as it was, we wouldn't have comics on TV in the stat that we do. Would we have the shows on Netflix? Would they have taken a shot with it? It's really a compelling argument. So definitely we'll have to have that continue on social media. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about Arrow as a whole? Do you think the legacy stands up or do you think it was a flash in the pan? What is your take on Arrow? We definitely want to know. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleeks. And this is Book Book of Lies, Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. So tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another low-down, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. Find us on your favorite podcast player or on Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, on Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast, and on Facebook at Book of Lies Podcast. And if you want to send us an email, send us one at Book of Lies Podcast at gmail.com. Okay? Bye bye! Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of all is a video game-related thing. Uh, the video game Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Uh, not a well-received game, I understand. Had its issues, but it's got a little interesting... Uh, 
event going on here in the coming weeks. I'm not sure when the I saw it pop up on social media the other day. I was like, oh, that's really cool, but I didn't catch a date, so they have to go to their social media to figure out the date. They've got a cool event going on where uh, in the game, which of course it's a Tom Clancy game, so it's very military based. You know, guns, shooters. You know, a little bit of sneaking, a little bit of planning going on. But you're gonna have to be taking on the Terminator. Wait, what? Yeah, no, that Terminator. Reasons I don't understand it. You know, it hasn't come out yet, so I don't fully know what's going on, you know, in terms of why they're doing this. But it's just a little interesting that, you know, for a limited time in the game, you're going to have this little side story going on where you take on the Terminator. Now, I know because I'm currently playing through the first one, Wildlands myself, uh, there is a side story, you know, side mission going on where you have to help Sam Fisher, a.k.a. Splinter Cell from the Splinter Cell video games. I am avoiding that one just simply because you have to get into and out of this very heavily fortified uh, base that and, and not take anybody out and not make a sound and not get detected. And, well, I'm not a fan of that play style. I'm, I'm a, if you if if, you know, being sneaky is optional. I am taking the optional route and I'm going in guns blazing. So definitely something interesting to check out if you have uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Uh, also something interesting that floated across, of course, there is a fourth Matrix film coming out. Uh, did get a bit of interesting casting news as Priyanka Chopra. Yes, that Priyanka Chopra. Oh, from Quantico. From Quantico, also the one married to one of the Jonas Brothers, you know. It has been reportedly uh, is in reportedly in final negotiations to join the cast, according to Variety. Uh, Variety reports that she's currently closing in on a deal to join the star-studded ensemble of the fourth film in the Matrix franchise. Although details about her prospective character are being very uh, kept under wraps, obviously. So definitely, you know, something going to be interesting to check out. Fourth Matrix. You know, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are reprising their respective roles of Neo and Trinity. You know, obviously, and then uh, newcomer Neil Patrick Harris and Aquaman star Yaha Abdul-Mateen II is going to be in the film. No word if Lawrence Fishburne is going to be returning as as Morpheus, but I would certainly hope so, given he's real good in those movies. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the movie was announced back in August of 2019 and has now been given a release date of May 21st, 2021, which coincidentally is the same day as John Wick 4. One of them's getting moved. Uh-huh. It's Blank. going to be John Wick. Put them both out same day. Well, Keanu, twice in one day. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Let's see what the box office oh, that, does. There'll be a riot down there. I, uh-huh. I, I, already, I already know people, like, I'm telling them, it's like, John Wick will be moved. It's it's not an insult, but I don't think anybody wants to deal with the Matrix on first day. No. That would be my prediction. So, that being said, my one shots. Uh, there was some little Batman casting news that's been officially announced. It is filming now. Mm-hmm. So, we have seen the pictures show up on social media that it is in filming, and Peter Skarsgård and Jamie Lawson have mm-hmm. been uh, allegedly announced for their roles. Uh, it has been announced that Sarsgaard is going to be playing District Attorney Gil Coulson, mm. and Lawson is going to be playing mayoral candidate Bella Riel. Hmm. Now, it is rumored that these are aliases okay. for, for their true characters. Okay. Well, if you say District Attorney in Gotham City, that would be one Harvey Dent. Mm. So it could be. It could not be. We're not sure. Uh, If they are going to do the long Halloween, I would imagine that is Harvey Dent. Could be. So I'm going to stick to my guns on that because I've been screaming that they're going to do that storyline for eons now. So the other one, though, I'm not sure. Uh, I know it has been heavily rumored that it's supposed to be Batgirl, Mm. Barbara Gordon. I'm not buying that. I don't I just I don't know who that character is going to be. I just don't think it's going to be 
uh, her. I, I don't think they're going to put Batgirl in this. No. I know it's been rumored that, what, they're going to add Robin at some point. Uh, yeah. But I I guess I kind of wonder with the timeline and, and Robert Pattinson's being Batman at that stage, I unless it's what's supposed to be a flashback sequence. Uh, like, maybe. I, like, I just, I don't get it. So I don't know. I have to wait and see about that. Like I said, at this point, I'm not buying the uh, Batgirl rumor, so we'll have no. to wait and see. And comic-wise, dare I say, in the new Thor comic, and I don't want to spoil this, uh, there is a, apparently a throwaway panel or section about uh, certain characters that might look familiar that uh, not exactly belonging in the Marvel playground. Right. So I'm not saying that it is a crossover by any means, but it is very noteworthy that in the new Thor comic that there is kind of a panel that you need to go check out and see that, like I say, I don't want to spoil anything with this because I don't want to get people's hopes up. Like my hopes are up because I think that this is tying in to another book that dropped a one-liner in it that I don't think it's a throwaway comment anymore. And that is my opinion of this, that with the new uh, revelation here in Thor number two by Donny Cates, and you're seeing that there is a League of Gods in this book for, like I say, a couple pages. Pad, I'm going to show you as I'm talking here. This is what that group looks like. You see the panel. Yeah. There's no confusing who they're hinting at. Uh-huh. There, there's absolutely none. Yeah. Now. And, and bear in mind, this had to get approved by Marvel to be in the panel. Uh-huh. Yeah. I see, so, where I see where they're going. So I see where they're going with this as well. I am not trying to get my hopes up, but I'm just saying that there was another reference to said group in another comic that now I'm thinking there's some smoke to fire. So I'm, I'm going to need to talk to Brian from Cheers to Comics about this offline because I don't want to spoil anything. But if you have read Thor 2 and you have some theories about this, Hashtag ODPH, because we will need to chit-chat. Also, be sure to check out Star Wars Issue 2 from Charles Soule. Uh, I haven't read the issue yet, but from my understanding is we find out what happens to Luke's lightsaber after he gets his hand lopped off by Darth Vader. Ooh, that's interesting. Which is something that I know a lot of fans have been wondering about for the better part of, like, 40-some-odd years. Mm-hmm. And as this episode comes out for movies, the greatest franchise ever returns with a trailer Friday. Sharknado? Oh, if only. No, sadly, it is the Fast and Furious 9. Oh. <laughs> Which I don't get. I, I'm sorry. At this stage, how, how did we get to 9? I, I, I don't know. I, I, it I, makes money. I know it makes money and that money makes money. In, in, in a time where the box office is hurting and more people are going to the libraries than they are to the movie theaters. It's the one surefire guarantee at the box office. I, I like I, that, that, that that library thing is a fact. You can find articles about that. That came out the other day. No, no. Like I said, jury jury is still out for me on this. I I, I what, what can you say? But the trailer is going to come out. What can you say? The tra- the preview of the trailer is Dom's got a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't. I can't live a quarter mile of life at a time anymore. Nothing phases me with this franchise anymore. I'm sorry. Like I I, I sit there. I'm just like really. I'm just waiting until they get into space. That is how it has to end. They have to be racing in space. I know it sounds crazy. Unless they're drifting around Pluto, I don't care. Yeah, they're not drifting around the Saturn rings. Because uh, yeah. they'll have to do that, because yeah. that shot has to happen. Yeah. Like, what else are you going to do with this franchise? But the new trailer is out Friday. 
Oh, trust me. Hit me up on hashtag ODPH. Hit me up on Twitter on uh, Follow Friday too at OD Parlay Hour. I will be commenting about this all day because I'm just gonna be sitting there going like, what now? What? What now? Uh, let's see. At the and to close out at your local comic shops, a very strong week of books to pick up too. Uh, Justice League 39. Scott Snyder's farewell to the Justice League is out, and that whole story has been absolutely crazy. And it was announced too via Twitter. Him and Greg Capullo are teaming up one more time. Oh, Lord have mercy. And it is rumored it was not officially announced, but it's a picture of Wonder Woman looking like she was in DC Metal again. So I think the encore is happening. Get ready for that. No more details other than right now. Just stay tuned to social media for that because I'm telling you this. If they're doing a sequel to Metal and how crazy Metal was, look out. That's going to be an absolutely must-buy book. And for the Marvel side is a heavy, heavy X-Men week. X-Men number five, X-Force number six, and New Mutants number six are all coming out, along with that Thor number two that I talked about, which Pat has seen the panel. Yeah. There's no confusion who's in that. Yeah. I'm saying there's some smoke yeah. to that fire, so definitely check that out. So the music you heard on this episode was Shout at the Robots at the beginning, but we are closing out this with some more Second Suitor. If you've been listening to the ODPH this week, we had Tyler on from Second Suitor talking about all things going on with their band. They're going to be going on tour starting February 13th in Elmira, New York. They're going to be traveling up and down the East Coast. If you can get a chance to go there, go there and see them live. Their dates are on their Instagram page. We have the links for all things Second Suitor on the OchoDuroParleyHour.com slash music link. You can find out about them. Shout out the robots, which I just found out Julian did a cover of their song, Coffee. I now need to go download this. I'm going to have to make this happen after the show. You're also going to find out about Floodlands. Jimmy Gazzik was on that episode as well, so make sure you're downloading and sharing that as well. You can also find out about Walking Distance, Honker, and Fair City Fire, who have been supplying music for us since day one. We can't be more than thankful enough for all the shows or, or all the bands that are giving us music for our shows. It truly means the absolute world to us. You can also find out on OchoDuroPolyHour.com the ODPH directory, which has our friends to the show, Three Fat Nerds, Horizon 607, 8122productions.com. What can I say about Love is Scary, Pad? Nothing there because we're behind a, not behind a paywall. Exactly. I'd love to talk about it. I really would. Derek is putting in work, folks. You're seeing an artiste at work. I can't do all the hashtags justice. He's going to be adding more to this. What he does on that show, you just need to hear to believe. $1 gets you in the door. $3 gets you a VIP seat. It's all on Patreon, so head over to 8122productions.com and check that out. We also have to give congratulations, shout-outs to our friend Tom from Off the Cuff Gaming. Over 100 subscribers on his YouTube page, Pat. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, that's a big deal. He's doing cake as this episode is going to be released this weekend. So head over to his YouTube page. Join in that celebration. It absolutely means the world to him. It means the world to us, too. Shout out to Wondersoul, 30 and Nerdy, and everybody who is sharing uh, links for people to subscribe to his page because that was a very big deal to get done this week. Also, we have to give a shout out to Excite Wrestling doing a show this Saturday as we're recording at the X. Johnny Stock. Lord knows what's going to happen there. ExciteWrestling.com for more information. Yes, because as the rumor, I've been told by 3FN that I do own Excite. I guess I should be there in attendance for it. So uh, I'll be down there, and hopefully the show goes off without a hitch because if I'm running it and I don't know what's going on, eh, we'll have to wait and see. All the things ODPH you can find on OchoDuroParleyHour.com, including all the links to our Podchaser groups that we're in. Shout-out to NextWave. Shout-out to PodNation. Shout out to Padawan J. Shout out to Coach Duffy. Shout out to you, the listener. And thank you so much for listening to the ODPH podcast. Pad, you got anything to sign off with? Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast. 
better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. I figured you out. You're crying on the floor. You do this to feel important. No one's ever listening. Is this what you're about? What a waste of potential. I never had the credentials to see who you wanted me to be. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll be just fine. Doing what I want and doing it all on my own time. Try to make a man